0: Acts chapter 1 it Says in my former book Theophilus I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen As I mentioned last week in our introduction to the book of Acts that the author is Luke uh, who is a physician and many believe that it's possible that he was once a slave of the man he's writing to Theophilus and somewhere around Acts 17, I can't remember, 16 or 17, we see that uh, Luke is, is instead of being recording what has happened before, now he's turning into the first person. It's no longer they are doing this, it's now we. And so that's when Luke actually picks up, and he's part of the story, and he will follow Paul through his life, tend to his wounds, and all these other things in in. So Luke is writing to this guy named Theophilus, whose name means lover of God. Some think it might be a code name for Christians. I think it was actually to a man named Theophilus. And this is the second book Luke has written, the first being the Gospel of Luke, just in case we needed to go over that again. The purpose uh, that uh, Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke was so that Theophilus would be established in the faith. How many of you need to be reminded constantly of what and why we believe what we believe? You know, you've, you've been saved, now what? What happens? Well, what happened is Luke saw that in his, this person he's writing to, and he goes, you know what, I need to encourage this guy. And so he spends a great amount of time working on the book of Luke, researching all for one man. And now he's writing the second book, the book of Acts. I was thinking about this this morning, or yesterday actually morning, and In our day and age, we might say, you know, it's not worth it. It's not worth it to put that much time, that much energy to research and to write or to invest in one single person. You know, I I, I think we're extremely uh, multitasking society. We like to do a lot of things at once, and we hardly have very deep, profound relationships. And I I don't know, anybody experienced that? Everything's very servicey. Facebook, how you doing? Goodbye. But we don't get beyond that and find out what's going on in people's lives, and I just like to go straight to it. Sometimes it takes time. Uh, but this is interesting how Luke, he took the time. And yet I find it very comforting uh, that the very attitude and the heart expressed day after day, month after month, and year after year by Luke in comprising this in comprising these letters is In moms, we see it every single day. I was thinking about that. I said, What is a modern day equivalent? I was thinking, Wow gosh. Just taking all that time, all that energy, all that you know, all giving it to one person, to two people, to three or four, five, some of you crazy, six and beyond, I don't know what in the world's up with you, but to invest your lives into someone year after year to see them grow and to mature into the people that God called them to be. And I believe that was the heart of Luke, and that's the heart I see in you mothers and grandmothers, and I'm blessed because of it. And Luke probably never thought his labor would go beyond Theophilus, and yet here we are 2,000 years later, and we are blessed by what he did for that one person. And what God will do with a person who's devoted, it's amazing. And so verse 1 of Acts tells us the Gospel of Luke, his first book, was all about what Jesus began to do and teach. And that's important for us because Jesus is not done. Church, Jesus is not done. Wake up. Sometimes we think, because, you know, uh, hey, I'm saved, the work is finished. And let me tell you, 100%, it is finished on the cross. There's no more further work that Jesus needs to do to save and redeem people. His blood is, he doesn't have to die again. Nothing else needs to happen. No more hoops no purgatory, nothing like that, you're saved. Faith in Christ, it is finished, but Jesus did not save us to sit. He saved us to serve him and to be filled with him and to go out, and that is the life we're to have. It it begins at salvation. It begins when we're born again. That's when life begins, but now it's the life of the Spirit that God wants to have in and through each of us, And, and it is what we're designed for, and so the book of Acts can be called you know the continuation of the ministry of Jesus Christ through His Spirit, through His Church. That's us. You know, and we've been looking. We'll, we'll read through Acts chapter one, and we'll go through Acts chapter twenty-eight, and then we verge into Acts chapter twenty-nine. Here we are. At where, where, there's only twenty-eight chapters in Acts. The continuation of the ministry of Jesus Christ. Here we are, and so this is amazing. So Luke tells the office. In book one, that was just the beginning. Now I'm going to tell you what the Spirit of Jesus did. When he went to the Father, he sent his Holy Spirit on the church, and now what he did, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, all the same thing, interchangeable within the book of Acts. Same person, what the Holy Spirit did when he fell upon believers. And so Luke says in verse three, after the suffering He presented himself to them, and he gave many convincing proofs to his disciples that he was still alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. And on one occasion while he was eating with them, Jesus liked to eat, he gave them this command. Jesus is always eating. You ever notice that? He accused him of being a wine-bibber and a glutton. I mean, he just loved to hang out and eat with people. It was awesome. I like to eat. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And again, the importance of the baptism of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. And I know there's tons of different things, so forget the terminology, forget the theology for a minute, the when and the how, and all the things we go in. Just go to the heart of matter. God desired for his disciples to be totally immersed in his spirit. God desired for his disciples to be totally immersed in his spirit. And the word that Jesus used here is baptized, to be fully immersed with the spirit of Christ, that picture of baptism. What happens when we—remember the baptism we had last year? Awesome. Denise, Nick, Johnny, uh, Dylan at his house. What happened? They went under the water, and they they were dunked. I didn't hold them under too long, right? Brought them back up, and they were totally, absolutely what? Wet. And then they got out of the pool and they started hugging you guys. And what happened to you? You got wet. That's the picture. That's the idea. That Jesus is so in us and over us and overflowing that it gets on everybody else. When you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, when you are filled with my Holy Spirit, Jesus is saying, you will be my witnesses. You will. That's what happens. You just get people wet. The torrent flows. Things happen. That is who you are. It's not manufactured. It comes from your innermost being, the Spirit of Christ living in you. And yes, we know the war between the flesh and the Spirit. And many of us live defeated. I live defeated a lot but I'm desiring in my life, I'm desiring for our church, I think the the Lord is desiring, come to me, be filled once again. Be filled once again so that you will be my witnesses. I jumped the gun, that's fun. Where am I? I know, it helps, I need to know that too. Yeah, there we are. And the disciples, I guess they didn't get it. And so they started asking about temporal things, and I think their questions were, you know, probably theologically sound. Hey, what about the kingdom? Verse 6, they gathered around him and asked, hey, Lord, that's wonderful about the Holy Spirit there, but uh, at this time, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Am I going to get to sit? Are we still going to, you know, hey, where am I? Where's my position here? What's going on? What are you going to do? Are we going to restore America? Are we going to take over things and change stuff? Because that's what it's all about, isn't it? That's hard. That's a hard lesson, brothers and sisters. And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times and the dates the Father has set on us by his own authority. Then Jesus points them back to the main thing, verse 8. But you, this is what you need to be concerned with, Matt, My son whom I love and died for. This is what you need to be concerned with. Church, brothers and sisters, but you will receive power and the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. When the Spirit of God, when the Spirit of Christ, when the Holy Spirit, same person, when he overflows us, we will have power and we will be his witnesses. Where will we be his witnesses? Wherever we are. Where are you? Where do you go? At home. Where else? Work. Neighbors. Sports. You just be as witnesses. That's who you will be, how you are. That is beautiful, and that is what God designed it to be. Wherever you go. Whoever you are, wherever I lead you, that's you will be my witnesses. You'll be that shining representation of who I am. What Adam was originally intended to be, that image of God, that picture of God. We are in the image of Christ. That reflection of who He is, how He is, how He loves, how He works, how He would do things, how He would react in circumstances. We would reflect. We would be His witnesses we would have power. Why do we have power? Because I willed it because I, because Christ is in us. The hope of glory. It is Christ in you. Allowing him, freeing him, submitting to him to be that person in you. To let him live. What does that mean? I die daily. And there's the fight. Because we look at the things that are so in front of us, the attitudes, the hearts, the temptations, the entertainment, whatever it might be that's in front of us, and it's so temporal, it's so kingdom, it's, uh, it, now is this going to happen? And we look at these things and go, boy, this is so much more real than what your word says. Now, anybody caught in that trap Sometimes. It satisfies my need now. And the enemy just goes, Cool. Gotcha. Stay ineffective. Okay, you step through the door, you're saved, but boy, I do not want you to be effective. Whatever you do, don't die to yourself. Don't deny yourself. Don't pick up that cross. Don't follow him. Don't be his witness. I'll let you have a church. I'll let you have lights. I'll let you have the band. I'll let you have everything. I'll fund it. And this is what's going on in America. Got guys teaching crud, living crud. Just follow Jesus, and I'll give you a bunch of money and take care of your health, and everything will be all right. Guys are listening to Joel Osteen. Knock it off! That guy is a false prophet. That guy is not born again. What? He does not teach anything that Jesus teaches, and yet I hear Christians they they do that, and because he lays something in front of you that you want. Who wants the cross? Who wants to deny themselves and die daily? Who wants to be less so that he can be more? and yet our bodies are aching. Oh, God, heal me. What if he doesn't want to heal you? What if, what if he allows you to suffer like his son suffered so that in your weakness he may be strong, so that people look at your life and go, how in the world is that happening? And you go, because I had this six-step program, and because I'm a broken person, and I'm hurting all the time, and oh, God, help me. Please, Lord. He is the reason. Why we can do what we do. You know, we see our brothers and sisters on the other side of the world suffering with nothing. The gospel doesn't work over there. I don't even know how I got off on this. Yeah, where am I again?? <coughs> yeah, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We're leaky friends. We're to be as witnesses wherever we are. We need to be refilled constantly, daily, all the time. You'll read it as we go through the book of Acts. You'll go, and they'll be like, and then the Holy Spirit fell upon them. They were filled again. How many of you need a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit? How many of you feel like you don't deserve it? Embrace the grace. <laughs> Lord, fill me once again. Cleanse me once again. How does this happen? We simply ask we seek and knock. And Jesus gave that beautiful example, I think it was in Luke 11, over and over again. He's, he gives this example of the neighbor who came and knocked, and oh, you're pestering him. And he finally gave it because of persistence, and then he said, well, you being wicked fathers, being sinful people, know how to give your sons good gifts. I'm not like them. I just want to give to you. It's a gift. Have me. Here's my spirit. Do you want more? Come ask. Here it is. I'm just going to give it to you. And you receive it, and you walk in it. You say thank you. And by the way, it often is not accompanied with what the world does. You've got to have an experience. You've got to bark and cluck. you got to, you know, you're just empowered. Now you begin to walk. You exercise the faith. You step out in it. And the Lord meets you where you are. Naturally, supernaturally, every single day, we're to be filled again with the Holy Spirit, sometimes several times a day, needing, depending upon the Lord. And when I fail to ask, when I fail to go before Him, boy, I tell you what, I'm Matt again. I want the Spirit of Christ coming out through Matt, not Matt. That's what I desire. That's what we desire as a church, don't we? I know you desire that for me, especially, but I mean for you too. (laughs) The reason I keep emphasizing the baptism of the Holy Spirit, this this baptism of fire, is because being filled with the Spirit of God is a prerequisite to accomplish the will of God. God doesn't give us tasks that we are supposed to accomplish in our own flesh. And I know this is, you know, there's a practical thing. Say, so, hey, I want you to love one another. But the love that he wants to give us is his love. The things that he wants to do in and through our church is so that, wow, we see that, God, you, you use that person to do this. That's not that person. That's you. And we so quickly look to natural talent. And we look at Matt's ability to articulate clearly without ever mumbling as the reason why you are all so mesmerized. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? and my ability to play guitar forget songs and all that stuff you know what I'm saying we quickly go to oh the talented people and God has given us talented people and I praise God for them but the problem with the talented people is they've got pride they've got to fall back upon they've got to learn to let go as that being a way of life and to be dependent upon the spirit Peter was a fisherman he was strong willed type A get her done foot and mouth kind of guy amen he had to Learn how to die. You had to learn to depend upon the Lord, and that took time. And it's the reason the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit on the the New Testament church, he is the reason that the events happened in the book of Acts. And he is why you and I are here today. Because that happened. And not only it happened to them, but it happened to other people, and he filled them. And guess what they did? They became witnesses and they began sharing throughout the ages and some of them gave their lives and some of them died. The Holy Spirit fills believers to be witnesses of Jesus and to preach the gospel and to make disciples and the promise of that same power is for us. For you who are far off, Jesus said, you Gentiles, you people in the future, it's for you too. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of God is the reason Acts chapters 1 through 28 happened, and now Acts chapter 29. Because of him, verse 9, we will get through Acts chapter 1. And he said this. Sorry, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes. And a cloud hid him from their sight. And they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going up, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking to the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. You know, when you love someone uh, and, they're, and they're leaving, you just kind of, you watch them until they They're just standing there gazing up. They just watch him until he gets smaller and smaller and smaller and he's just gone into the cloud, you know? do that at the airport or when someone's going, you're just watching him. And the guys are like, hey, Jesus is coming back. Don't worry about it. He's going to come back the same way he came. He's going to come back on this very mountain the Bible teaches us, the Mount of Olives. He'll step on it. It'll split in two and he'll walk into Jerusalem. Set up his thousand-year reign, his kingdom. We're going to be with him. That's going to be awesome. And after these amazing events that were witnessed by over 500 people, verse 12 says, Then the apostles, they went to re- return to Jerusalem from the hill called Mount of Olives, a Sabbath-day walk from the city. Just a, sh- a short distance, really. And they obeyed Jesus' command to wait until they received the promise, right? They went back to Jerusalem. They didn't go do other stuff. Verse 13, When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. And those present were Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. A different Judas, not Judas Iscariot. That's what they have to determine, uh, distinguish who they are. And now, one of the most foundational verses for the church, verse 14, and then they all joined together, constantly in prayer, along with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. The people in the early church were people of prayer. The people of the early church were people of prayer. And this is one of the principles and the patterns that we see in the lives of the early believers, individually and corporately. They prayed all the time, constantly. That's what—that's who they were. That is who they were. They were people of prayer. They watched Jesus do it, they did it. You know, why were they praying? Didn't they have all the information? You know, I mean... They they knew Jesus. They talked to Jesus. He just told them. He went up. They said, go wait. You know, Spurgeon. Have you ever heard of Spurgeon's Boiler Room? It's interesting. It says, five young college students were spending a Sunday in London. And so they went to hear the famous C.H. Spurgeon preach. And while waiting for the doors to open, the students were greeted by a man who asked, gentlemen, let me show you around. Would you like to see the heating plant of this church? They were not particularly interested for it was a hot day in July. But they didn't want to offend the stranger, and so they consented. The young men were taken down a stairway. A door was quietly opened, and their guide whispered, This is our heating plant. And surprised, the students saw 700 people bowed in prayer, seeking a blessing on the service that was soon to begin in the auditorium above. And softly closing the door, the gentleman then introduced himself. It was none other than Charles Spurgeon. Powerful stuff. What makes the things of God go? What happens? What breaks down the wall? What brings people to Christ? Obviously, the grace of God. But He's called us to be a part of that grace, to be a part of that happening, part of the movement. And the thing about prayer, and this is really important, everybody, prayer shows that we believe. It really doesn't do much for you in a temporal perspective to talk to something that isn't there, right, from a natural perspective. But it shows we really, truly believe. And Jesus taught how we were to pray. He says, go pray. Go get alone. Be quiet, first of all. This is the type of people we're to be. People who are alone, get alone in your closet. Pray. Get on your knees. No one else is knowing you're praying. You are just praying to the Lord in which you ask in secret, God will reward openly. That's the that's the first type of prayer that we are to be involved in because it's a reflection of our personal relationship with the Lord. It shows we have faith. And then the second type of prayer is corporate prayer. Praying together with brothers and sisters in small groups or whatever it is. We see that throughout the Bible. Constantly praying together here in Acts. They were all gathered together in prayer. And it's what will happen, it's what will It will revive. I don't want to use that in a weird way, but it will empower us. It will change us as we pray. As we pray, it's not to move God's hand. It's to move us according to God's hand. It changes us. There's so many quotes. Go look them up by the early church fathers about prayer. Powerful stuff. But prayer shows we believe. And When we look at the principles and the patterns of the early church, we can't just go, that was for them. No, we should have a heart and a conversation with God. God, I choose to pray alone, and I choose to pray with the church. I devote myself to your will, to your plan. Lead me in this. Something like that, just a heart thing. And watch the Lord. Watch him speak and begin to bless. And really quickly, notice who is praying in verse 14. The disciples, the women who had been affected by Jesus, and Mary. The mother of Jesus? How many of you have a Catholic background? All right, awesome. Notice that they were not praying to her. Just wanted to lay that out there. I'm not trying to be offensive. Amen. They were not praying to her. But she was praying with all the others to her God. Only a few verses are mentioned of Mary, 1st. One's in Luke, there, the Magnificat, where she calls God her Savior. I love that. And this last one here, where she isn't mentioned anymore after this, she's praying to her God, her Savior. Mary does not save anyone, brothers and sisters, you know that. She needs a Savior. And what happened is that people see God use a person to accomplish his plan. We see God using a person to accomplish his plan in an amazing way. Is she not blessed among women? Did not God say that? not she have a special place in history? Isn't she just like, wow, gave birth to the Messiah, our Savior? That is awesome. That God would use such a humble, amazing person like her at a very young age to have a, have a child. The things she went to endured. I mean, it's an amazing study. An amazing person. But that amazement turns into worship because we're human beings and we we tend to worship the tangible, the things we can touch, the things that we can see. And so somehow we take a person who is used by God and then elevate them to a place that God never intended them to be instead of a reflection of his glory and that pointing us to him. We do it with people all the time. and We name churches after people and people become elevated above the Lord. Got to be careful of this. But God alone is who we pray to. Jesus had every opportunity to teach people to pray to saints and to pray to Mary, and yet he said, when you pray, say, Our Father, who's in heaven. This is how we're to pray. Praying to Mary, friends, is blasphemy. We need to know that. It's idolatry. There's one mediator between God the Father and man, and that is the man Jesus Christ. He's it. You can go straight to the Father through Jesus. So Mary was an amazing woman, yes. Loved by her son to the point of running him down in the middle of a sermon to give him a sandwich. Remember that? What are you doing? You're going crazy. Eat something. Remember that? She like hunted him down. How many of you have moms have done that? Mary was awesome. What an awesome mom. Was there at his side when he breathed his last. And was there to see him rise again. And now, last we hear of her in this room praying and asking, waiting for the promise of the Holy Spirit to fill her. And she would be one of those group of people who would be baptized and fully immersed in the Holy Spirit and would become a witness of her son, Jesus Christ. Amazing. Devoted to prayer. Verse 15. We're almost there. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, brothers and sisters, the scriptures had to be filled, fulfilled, in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as a guide to those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. Judas, Judas was along with him. He carried the money purse. He was ministering to them. He was healing people. He was doing miraculous stuff with them. This is why you get into that place where Jesus says, not all who say, Lord, Lord, and not all who cast out. Didn't I do all these wonderful things in my name? What is that? I don't know. But he was with us. He was part of our ministry. With the payment he received for his witness, Judas bought a field. And there he fell headlong, and his body burst open, and all his intestines spilled out. I thought it totally fitting on Mother's Day to pause and <laughs> ponder this for a few minutes. <coughs> no, Seriously. No, I'm just kidding. I tell you the truth, it never fails. I, do, how many mothers have to be in, in the enforcers at the dinner table? Oh my gosh! Every night, like clockwork, John's like, we sit down to eat, and John's all, "Dad, let's talk about war. You know, let me show you this new sound I made. You know." And it just goes on, and then, and I, being a guy, naturally am going. We shouldn't do this, but let's just do a little, you know. We start talking, and it's like all of a sudden we're talking about, you know, tourniquets, and who knows what's going on. And Christine's just like, oh, my gosh, you know, and I'm sorry, mothers. And so I just thought it was totally fitting that, you know, here we are, and Peter had to open his mouth on Mother's Day again and put his foot in his mouth and talk about this stuff. It's pretty bad. Anyways. So from beyond the grave, Peter reminds us of Judas's demise when after betraying Jesus for 30 pieces of silver was overcome with guilt, he hung himself on a tree on the branch and it fell and Humpty Dumpty fell to pieces in the field. And we know that those priests, the money that Judas had, he threw it down in the temple court. Well, they couldn't do anything with it. They were the ones who paid him that money. And so they went and bought this field, this useless field that no one could use and in. I don't know if Judas knew it or not, but he fell into that very field that was purchased with that money. For Peter said, verse 20, I'm sorry, verse 19, everyone in Jerusalem, they heard about this, and so they called that field in their language, uh, ekel that is the field of blood. And Peter quotes the prophecy of desolation and replacement from Judas out of Psalm 69 and and Psalm 109 in verse 20 of Acts here. Um, For Peter said, Uh, For said Peter, uh, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. And so Peter and the people have been praying. Jesus has opened their eyes to the scriptures. Perhaps he shared this is what something would happen. I don't know. We have to replace Judas, like the scripture says. Verse 21. And therefore. Now he gives the criteria of what that replacement person should be. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from from us. And for one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. And so two guys fit that criteria in verse 23. And so they nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice. Boy, gosh, he's got a lot of aliases there. And Matthias. And then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over the apostolic ministry which Judas left to go where he belongs. And then they cast lots and the lot fell on Matthias and so he was added to the 11 apostles. Casting lots pretty interesting was an Old Testament way of determining the will of God. If you want to know if you wanted to know God's will, you'd go to the priest in Jerusalem, and he'd have a urman and the thumman, whatever that was, in his breastplate. Like People think it's two stones, a black one and a white one, and he'd reach in and grab one, and the black one would be no, and the white one would be yes, and so that would kind of determine which way people were to go. Remember the story of Jonah. Jonah was on the ship. He shouldn't have been on the ship. What did they do? It started rocking. They were all going to die, and they cast lots to find out who it was, and the lot went to Jonah. And so this, this is a reoccurring Old Testament theme a way of determining God's will, putting out a fleece, so to speak. But after chapter 2, we don't see this again. We don't see it anymore. But rather, we see the Holy Spirit directing people through the word of God. And might I suggest the gift of prophecy within the church. And I believe this is how the New Testament church operates. In Acts 13, for example, we read, And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them to. And then having fasted and prayed again and laid hands on them, they sent them away. And so they were worshiping and praying and reading and waiting upon the Lord. And the Spirit said, how did he speak? It doesn't say. But we know within the church and we see through Acts several times when, when, when Paul decided he wanted to go somewhere, someone took a belt, tied his hands and said, listen, this is what's going on. Don't go. And we see several times the Spirit would not let them go. The Spirit would let them go through people, through people. But notice how they did it. They prayed and they fasted. The Lord spoke. Then what did they do? They prayed and fasted. Is this really what you're saying, Lord? Does this really match up with your will? Is this really what's going on? And they sent them away. The thing about laying out a fleece, saying, you know, and that, that term, saying, if God, if you do this, then I'll do that. I flip this coin, and if it lands on heads, then it must be my will. Anybody had one of those moments lately, trying to determine what God would do? You know what I find out when I flip the coin, when I have those things, and I lay out the fleece, is that I always get my way. I love that about it, don't I? It doesn't make a difference. I just I just end up justifying my position, Lord, okay. Best out of five. Come on now. You know, like I knew you'd give in. Thank you, God. We're going. You know? Anybody? All right, just me. All right. But I end up usually trying to justify what I want rather than seeking and waiting and ministering to the Lord, fasting and let him speak what he wants to do. Sometimes it's no, sometimes it's yes, sometimes it's wait. And as we read in Acts... You will see all those circumstances. But regardless, this is the part part I want you to realize, is that Peter's prompting came from prayer. Peter's reason came from Scripture. And ultimately, they were trying to trust in the sovereignty of God in the situation. They were seeking his will. They were trying to find out what he wanted. And that was it. They were praying. There's this gap in their ministry they feel it, they know it. They go, Lord, what do we do? And they search the scriptures and they find specific scriptures that are ad- addressed towards that. And they're going, Lord, this is what you, you say in your word. This is what we're praying. We feel like you're supposed to do and this is, what this is what we're gonna do. They started moving forward. They prayed some more. They found two people and met the criteria. They had criteria. So I would encourage you each of you, as you are needing to find things out in your life, as you're seeking decisions for your life, to gather together with a group of believers and begin to pray and to minister to the Lord as our brothers and sisters did and to worship Him and to seek Him and to praise Him and to pray and to open the words and to contemplate. And you know what? The Lord will honor that and it might not be right then that god speaks but he will show you where you need to go church we're a church of the holy spirit we're a church of the spirit and there are principles we live by but the details of life we have to go to him and seek him and he will speak and what he says what happens either through the body of christ or you know through people circumstance stuff it won't contradict his word. We fall back on it. If something someone says, oh, the Lord's saying this, you go back and go, I don't think so. Or you know what? That seems like something the Lord would say because blah, 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 and you go through and it's all there. Okay, well, let's pray about this some more and see what God does. It might be something for later on. I mean, I've, I've shared with you how we came up here. You know, um, the Lord put it in my heart. I had a real sense of just not wanting to be in San Diego anymore. All of our family's down there. We sensed like the Lord was doing something in our hearts. What do we do? And so, I prayed, let it sit. I was kind of just pondering and I saw the advertisement. I go, hmm. Showed it to Christine. We went, hmm. That's interesting. Shot out my... Crazy resume and just let it go. And then you guys responded, Aldi, with an email that was like, wow, what in the world's going on here? Immediately, we started to go, okay, Lord, what's going on? And we took it to godly people around us. We started talking to people who were not telling us what we wanted to do or based upon what they wanted for us but who would seek the Lord even in difficult circumstances. And we started listening and and hearing and, and trying to discern what God's will was. And it took a long time. A lot of warfare, a lot of things going on, but nevertheless, we had to come to a place where we feel like this is where the Lord is leading us. You, on the same time, on your story, same thing's happening. We stepped out, flew up. You stepped out, brought us up. We came back. The Lord gave us a verse. And not only did he give us a verse once, he gave it to us over and over and over and over. And obviously the warfare increased and in the back and forth, and we know the story. But he spoke. He said, this is where I'm leading you. And it's not going to be, oh, here it is, let's go, hey, there we are. There was a lot of stuff in there, but nevertheless, God spoke. How did he speak? Through his word, Psalm 37, to us. Christine, want to quote the verse for me? No, she doesn't. (laughs) Trust in the Lord, do good, dwell in the land, and feed on my faithfulness. I want you to go. I want you to trust. I want you to dwell. I want you to feed. I'll take care of you. He answered all of our concerns in that one verse. And it seemed right, and it seemed good to the people who were praying with us and walking through us with this, through the whole thing. We didn't understand how things would work out. The Lord was good. And I'm saying, we are a church of the Holy Spirit, not of weird barking and clucking. We are a church of the Spirit. God, Jesus is not done. His word is complete, but his Spirit desires to live that through us. Lives of faith. What is he going to do with you? Where are you going to go? That is what the book of Acts is about. It's about seeking him and being filled and him saying, go and we go. Go. And here we are. It's about people being miraculously healed when it's God's purpose for them to be healed for the furtherance of the gospel, not for a sensationalism. Paul was never healed. Timothy had to drink wine for his stomach. Both amazing ministers of Jesus Christ plagued. Yet they could heal people and their shadow would fall upon them and they would be healed. It's for His Word. It's for His kingdom. It's for His glory. Lord, where do you want to go? Where do you want us to go? What do you want us to do? Where am I? Here I am today, Lord, freshly crucified, freshly filled with the Spirit of God. Now lead me and guide me in this meeting. Lead me and guide me as I drive down the road when I see that person who needs the tire to be changed. Just let me be sensitive. Where do you want to go? What do you want to do? Amen. So, I would encourage you guys to hang out with one another. Seek him. Spend time with each other. Pray. In this busy society, take time to go deep and seek the Lord. You don't have to lay out all the details. You can just say, I'm, I'm needing guidance in something. Would you, would you group of people pray for me? And the Lord will speak. And we take with what, he, what we believe he says, we bounce it with what we know he said. And then we step out in faith. And so, coming up here, it was, a, it was an example of that in my life getting together with people we knew and continue to know, seeking him for these things, trusting in the Lord, praying, not for my wisdom, but for the wisdom of God, not the wisdom of man, praying, seeking, talking, waiting, steps of faith, and then slowly confirmation comes or however he decides to do it. We are the people of the Spirit now. That's who we are. Lean into him and let him speak through the church, through you, through you, God wants to speak through you, friends. And I think quite often we're just too scared because we don't want to get anything wrong. How do we learn to walk? Falling down. If someone blows it, oh, that wasn't the Lord. we got the word. we got elders. We've got brothers and sisters with discernment, don't we? Pray for one another. Seek, talk, hang out. So, Through the church he wants to speak and to move in this community in our hearts and our families through the word and through the spirit and by stepping out in faith next week everything changes for this group of people everything changes It, it get their world gets turned upside down for the better the second chapter of acts pentecost it's pretty awesome